30 seconds, reality as you know it will cease to exist. In its place, you will find a new dimension, identical to the one you left behind, only slightly better. Take a deep breath and open your mind to the magic within you. This is no ordinary podcast. This podcast is with Richard Years ago, I interviewed for a customer support job at a tech company in New York. Being a young tech company, they desperately wanted to come off as a fun, hip place to work. So the job description used the word ninja, and at the end of the interview, my two inquisitors wrapped things up by asking what my spirit animal was. I took a moment, looked them both in the eyes, then leaned in conspiratorially. Look, I said. I could give you a pat answer like the industrious, hardworking beaver and continue to make my case for why I'm a great fit. But instead, I'm going to just be perfectly honest and say, flying squirrel. They looked at each other and then back at me. I thought about it for a moment. Flying squirrels entered my awareness as a child through the 1989 animated film Little Nemo Adventures in Slumberland because the titular Nemo had one for a pet. I've also always been fond of the classic non-flying eastern gray squirrel, which I've had far more IRL contact with, but that seemed too mundane to be a proper spirit animal. Of course, I really wanted the job too, and knew I should pull on their heartstrings at least a little bit to close the deal, so I gave the following answer. Flying squirrels leap out into the void. Over and over again, they jump out into empty space, hoping to glide to the next branch. As a kid, an adult, I moved a lot, so I'm used to jumping out into empty space hoping I'll find a branch on the other side. And two months ago, I moved to New York, and I really need this job to be my next branch. They hired me the next day. That was seven years ago, but recently I did my flying squirrel trick all over again. I jumped out into the void at the beginning of June, drove to Kentucky with my fiancé, and hoped we'd find a branch waiting for us. We glided for a while, but now I've finally found my branch and am at last ensconced in my new Kentucky home, ready to return my focus to this ritual. But I was lucky to find a branch. A lot of us were forced to leap into the void this year. A pandemic severely interrupted our normal patterns, political upheaval added fuel to the fire, and then smoke choked out the sky and made it hard to breathe. If you're listening to this podcast in late September 2020, Ruth Bader Ginsburg just died and added a new level of stakes and desperation to the American political situation. If you're listening to this in October 2020, some new shit just hit the fan and added a new level of stakes and desperation to the American political situation. And if you're listening to this in November 2020, The American political situation itself is likely staking out new levels of shit and desperation. But if you're listening to this in late September 2024, or late September 2030, or late September 2060, or late September 2600, our current crisis is your historical footnote 
And the fact that you're listening means that our flying squirrels continue to find branches, even in the midst of this inferno. So whether your own personal squirrel is gliding through the void, clinging to a branch, or somewhere in between, let's pause this train of thought for a moment and indulge in a quotation from everyone's favorite American ethnobotanist, Terence McKenna. Nature loves courage. You make the commitment, and nature will respond to that commitment by removing impossible obstacles. Dream the impossible dream, and the world will not grind you under. It will lift you up. This is the trick. This is what all these teachers and philosophers who really counted, who really touched the alchemical gold, this is what they understood. This is the shamanic dance in the waterfall. This is how magic is done. By hurling yourself into the abyss and discovering it's a feather bed. Wise words from Mr. McKenna, but I don't know if I agree entirely. For as much as nature loves courage, it also can't pass up a good blooper. Our stories rejoice in narrow victories, Hail Mary passes, and underdog victories, but reality relishes in the other side of statistical improbability. The lost causes that lost. The wrong turns that became deadly detours. The impossible dreams that were rudely awakened by the worst reality had to offer. Perhaps those of us who hurl ourselves into the abyss and live don't land atop a feather bed, but rather the soft and broken bodies of the unlucky who met the abyss head-on before us. But that's not how magic is done. Whether you want to believe there are cosmic forces helping humanity drunkenly stumble around extinction events, or that it's all survivorship bias, and the only ones left alive to tell their tales inevitably have tales of miraculous survival against insurmountable odds. In either case, magic moves forward. Magic glides to the next branch. Magic is the narrative structure of continuance. Let me say that again because it sounds really badass. Magic is the narrative structure of continuance. Continuance is the state of remaining in existence or operation. Magic is the narrative structure that makes that possible. Let's conjure up an example to make this case. You're a band of hunter-gatherers in the south of France in the Upper Paleolithic era, say 20,000 odd years ago. It's been a hard year and your small tribe has endured bad weather and worse luck and now teeters on the brink of starvation. Your best hunters are about to go and do their damnedest to bring home the bacon, and if they don't, well, that's probably going to be the end of your cozy little extra-familiar society. So to ensure they do, your spiritual leader gathers everyone together to paint or sing or dance or otherwise enact the story everyone wants to hear, the one where the heroes return triumphant with a big meaty kill to feed the whole family. The hunters set off, everyone else hangs back, eagerly awaiting their return, and finally, days later, someone spots the crew coming back over the hill, carrying a grip of icy dead elk meat. Dinner is served, and more importantly, continuance is achieved. Now, in this cliched, anthropologically suspect example, magic supplies the necessary narrative structure in two vital ways. First, it's the story within the story 
that the tribe told themselves about what they wanted to achieve. This is the act of manifestation or the law of attraction if you take the view that their magic caused the hunt to go well. But second, and perhaps more importantly, it also becomes the story about the story. The legend of this powerful act of magic that brought the tribe back from the brink of extinction becomes a meta-narrative, a myth the tribe tells itself about itself that can be imbued with all manner of meaning, from listen to your elders, to persevere in hard times, to our magic is real. In both instances, magic supplies the narrative structure of the tribe's continued existence. And any tribe whose magic didn't work Well, they didn't last long enough to register a critique of their own magic's efficacy. Now, returning to our brave flying squirrels desperately seeking purchase in the shitstorm inferno of 2020, what am I trying to say? That magic works, or it doesn't? That flying squirrels lack narrative structure? That life sucks and then you die? No. My point here is that there is a pattern of branch and void. There are times in our life where things feel comfortable and secure, and there are times where things feel perilous, uncertain, dangerous, and frustrating. And I hold that this is true at the mundane, micro level, days at a job where you feel confident versus days at the same job where you feel overwhelmed, as well as the macro level, entire eras where you and your family prosper because of global or national economic trends versus times of prolonged upheaval and hardship. And even when you think you're holding on to a nice, sturdy branch, you never know when you'll get shook loose, to which I think we can look to this year as a fairly definitive example. But the role magic plays in all of this is providing a narrative structure, a thread we can use to link the remembered branches of the past to the hopeful branches of the future, a thread that can guide us and remind us as we glide through the interminable unease of the void. And that's what I believe is one of the most powerful effects of magic as I see it and experience it. Let me give you two examples from my own life. If you listen to this podcast regularly, you've probably already heard the story about how I performed a ritual to become a wizard and my life flipped, turned upside down, and voila, here I am today, wizarding it up. Well, last year on November 30th, it was the five-year anniversary of that ritual as well as the one-year anniversary of this podcast as a ritual. My fiancé and I had been talking about how, while we weren't ready to leave New York quite yet, we wanted to start hatching a plan for where we might like to go when we were ready to leave, and Kentucky landed on the top of our list through a series of delightful synchronicities. So we decided to check it out, and we're driving around the state, staying at a little bed and breakfast an hour south of Louisville, when this auspicious ritual anniversary arrived. Considering how well my narrative magic had guided the previous five years of my life, my fiancé and I decided to join the thread of our stories in a new ritual, intertwining our lives within a magical narrative about moving to Kentucky in the future and starting a new chapter. Of course, we thought it would be three to five years away, but magic works at its own pace, so lo and behold, four months later, the world itself had flipped turned upside down and we found ourselves seriously considering Kentucky as an imminent next step. Now, I'm not trying to say that my magic caused a global pandemic just so I'd move to Kentucky sooner, and if it somehow did, 
please believe me when I say, wow, I am so fucking sorry. But irregardless of cause and effect, I certainly achieved a narrative structure. I did a ritual about the general direction I hope my life would follow and that it followed the prescribed course, albeit on its own timeline. But now when I talk about how I got from A to B, I can use my magic as the bridge. Of course, that's the neat and tidy version that minimizes the messiness of what really went down. It obscures my own doubts, the pain and turmoil of the pandemic, the challenges we faced, and the frustration felt in the moment because we were never certain B would arrive until at long last it had. And that's where the second form of magic comes in. Daily rituals, divination, meditation. These actions are how magic is lived, how it exists in the mundane context of an ordinary day, providing support, relief from anxiety, and glimpses of the larger tapestry of which this moment is but a single thread. We'll deep dive on ritual in an upcoming episode, but for now, let's suffice it to say that rituals are repeated routines or habits imbued with non-pragmatic, meaning-rich gestures. Waking up each morning and brushing your teeth is a routine. Performing the lesser banishing of gingivitis, wherein you brush your teeth for exactly 30 seconds, turn around three times, and then spit, makes it a ritual. Although I'm sure there are traditionalists who disagree, and we'll explore this further in the future. Anyways, when quarantine arrived in New York this March, my daily commute to work, normal social routines, and various wizard events were simultaneously canceled, freeing up time to more deeply engage with my various rituals. From the small rituals I used to mark the passage between wakefulness and sleep, to more involved ones I performed each weekend before recording the quarantine transmission episodes of this podcast as a ritual, it provided much-needed coherence in a time of great uncertainty. And when the country began to reopen, and my fiancé and I hit the road and lived out of various Airbnbs while looking for our next branch, these rituals evolved into a stripped-down, portable form I could use to mitigate the interminable unease of the void. Combined, these two approaches to magic fit the classic axiom of as above, so below. Above, we have the macro meta-narrative of how magic bridges A to B, void to branch. And below, we have the daily trials and tribulations, the various anxieties of life that rituals assuage by acting as a grounding, soothing system of significance and repetition. There's been quite a bit of research in the last few years exploring how rituals, even secular, nonsensical ones, can relieve anxiety. Which is fascinating because anxiety is the opposite of our earlier definition of magic as the narrative structure of continuance. If magic is the plot point that enables us to continue, anxiety is a series of stories about everything that could stop us in our tracks. It's the endless what-ifs and oh-nos, the list of fears we recite to ourselves in the hope that this act of mental preparation will somehow keep us safe. And like the most powerful magic, worrying occurs largely outside of conscious control. It's not enough to tell yourself to think differently or stop worrying. The unconscious must be fed with symbols and gestures that signify magic's powerful counter-narrative, instilling a deep belief that the branch exists and we're gliding towards it 
even when we appear to be falling. Let's discuss one final example of magic in action. After hypothetical hunter-gatherers, sports offers arguably the best textbook cases for magic in action. Each game is a pitched battle between two competing narratives, often symbolized as distinct colors and totemic animal mascots. Both teams seek continuance, whether that's advancing in the playoffs or achieving glory and fame as one of the all-time greats. And although all team sports inhabit this pattern to some extent, baseball is uniquely regarded as one of the most superstitious sports, rife with players' rituals, decades-spanning curses, and Masonic symbolism. In the 1932 World Series, the New York Yankees were playing their third game against the Chicago Cubs at Wrigley Field. It's widely agreed upon that the Cubs had been heckling and harassing Babe Ruth from the bench all game, and that rather than ignoring their taunts, Ruth was messing with them right back through various words and gestures. With the score tied 4-4 in the fifth inning, Ruth stepped up to bat. He took a first strike, and then as the fans and players lobbed insults from the benches and bleachers, Ruth made a gesture. It's still unclear, even in the films taken at the time, whether Ruth was pointing at center field, the pitcher, or the Cubs bench. Ruth took a second strike, then repeated the ambiguous gesture. The next pitch was no strike. Ruth hit a cracking home run straight out into center field. The Yankees won the game 7-5, and the next day they finished off the demoralized Cubs 13-6, completing the fourth game necessary to win the World Series. Ruth's ambiguous gesture grew into baseball's most acclaimed magical act, granting the Yankees not only continuance as World Series champions that year, but enshrining Babe Ruth as a mythic hero. And now I want to remind you, all of you, specifically you listening right now, that you're the mythic hero of your story. That this podcast is a ritual that you're participating in. Now and every time you listen to an episode, tell a friend about it, repeat an idea you heard, draw inspiration into your own life, and work the magic that's unique to you. And that magic is alive right now, guiding you towards your next branch, helping you glide even when you feel like you're falling. You can remind yourself of it with your own rituals, using them to create balance against any stories your anxiety might whisper in your ear, using them to provide narrative structure for your own continuance. Because at the end of the day, there will always be more void beyond every branch. And if we want to achieve continuance, we need narrative structures that are fluid and flexible, that combine grand gestures with ambiguous ones, that become stories, which become legends, which become myths, we can tell around the campfire. So when our grandchildren ask, how did we ever survive? We can lean in close and whisper, magic.